Open to 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning, if you would, and we'll follow along in the Word of God this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to bring a message today that has been on my heart for a couple mornings, a couple of days, and, uh, and, and believe it'll be a help to you. And if you'll listen and respond to it, and this is certainly going to require some response, but here's the good news. This one's a very easy, practical response. I'll just tell you right up front, I want to preach a message this morning about how important the Bible is in your life. And you know why it's such a practical, simple response? Because what I'm going to ask you to do, what the Lord's going to ask you to do today, is get serious about reading your Bible. And there are some of you here that read your Bible, but I believe that God will ask you to get more serious about reading it even more and letting it change your life. I'm, I'm the one preaching the message this morning, and i got to tell you, I recognize in my life how much I need, if I can say it this way, the mothering of God's Word in my life. And I need it, and you need it, and so I want to encourage you in that thought this morning. And 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 22, I want to read a few verses here. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I got to thinking about the verse a few verses earlier, how that we've not been redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ. And we've not been born by corruptible seed, but by incorruptible, the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. Say, what does that mean, preacher? Have you looked in the mirror lately? That's what that means. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes. Now, think about yourself in that way this morning. He's not saying that you are necessarily a newborn babe. He's writing this to people that had been Christians for different amounts of time. But for us this morning, no matter how long we've known the Lord, he says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. And by the way, he's not using the analogy of the milk of the word here as in we should just be satisfied with the milk of the word. He's saying, it's a complete picture, he's saying just like a newborn baby cannot be satisfied without its mother's milk, you should live your life with such a longing for God's word that you have to have it all day long, every day, live with that desire, uh, the sincere milk of the word. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I, it's amazing, before I go forward, I was thinking about how uncomplicated the life of the believer is intended to be uh, by, by God himself. I mean, if you look at just the verses I read this morning, what God asked of us, it reminds me of, of Micah 6, is it Micah 6 and 8, what if the Lord required of thee, you know, and it, it's just very simple. And I look here at what God actually requires out of the Christian life, 
And uh, I, I see three little things I just wanted to share in the opening this morning. But I want to say before I do that, that, you know, church and the Christian life along the way has become largely complicated. I mean, if you think about the average sense of church in America today, it has largely become just a lot of business. Just a lot of product, a lot of pushing this, a lot of meetings, a lot of let's get in there and get this done. And, and our worship has become a lot of entertainment and performance. And somewhere along the way, we have lost the simplicity of what it means to be church. And I'd love to find that again. I got to tell you that in my heart, deep in my heart, that is one of the great desires I have. I believe this, and I, I hate to say it and sound like I'm being negative, but I believe it's going to take some drastic things happening in our world before it ever happens in the church. I believe as long as we're comfortable, we'll continue to do what we've been doing for probably a couple hundred years or so. And that's just be consumer Christians uh, who come into church and just kind of participate, get out of it what we get out of it, and then go to the rest of our life. And one day, it's going to get shaken up and then we'll have a return to what church was supposed to be. Now, I want to back that up by saying this. I believe that there are many of you that are like me, and you're after that right now in your life. You want that right now. We want the pure, unadulterated uh, life of the church. That's what we're after. But what does God want out of, out of us? If you look at these verses, I mean, verse 22 says he simply wants sibling love. Now, how uncomplicated is that? I mean, the great commandment is love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then, again, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. It doesn't get complicated. I mean, that's as simple as it can come. He says in verse 22, you've been purified in your souls because you obeyed the truth. And he says it's unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Real love, not fake love. Not the kind that you walk into church and paint a grin on your face and give the old, how are you, brother? How are you, sister? You know, and, and then, you know, you don't really care, right? We got to get unfeigned love. Now, I'll tell you, there's only one way that's going to come about. That's life together. You see, you'll never, you'll never grow that on Sunday morning meetings. You never will. And we have, um, relative to some large churches, we have a small church, and yet this number of people will never learn to love one another uh, in unfeigned love by just coming to church on Sunday and Wednesday. You'll have to be living together throughout the week. But you see, we've got so many other things that are far more important to us. Our church is just kind of a part of our life that is kind of sectioned off to certain times and certain places when God's Word says that when you come into the church, that has become your family. That's become the most important people in your life. These are the people that you're to spend your days and time with. But we'll never have it unless we do that. And then he, he talks about solid instruction. He says, verse 25, The word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all the malice and the guile and the hypocrisies and the envies and the evil speakings, desire the word. He's, he's saying there that what God wants us to have as a church is not only to have this sibling love, but to have just solid instruction in our life. 
And that means that we've got to come to church. I've said this before, but we've got to come to church like this. All right, preacher, I'm ready. Tell me, what, what is God saying to me this week? What's God saying? What's God wanting to message to me in my life right now? But you see, we lost that somewhere, didn't we? We got favorite preachers today. We got favorite singing groups. We run all over the country to hear this one and that one. Why? We're more interested in being entertained than we are being edified and taught. But we got to come to church ready for solid instruction. Clear hearts. Coming in the house of God where we've kind of shut out everything else except a heart ready to receive the truth. You know, it'd do a lot of good in the church. Let me just offer one practical thing. You know what you know helped the church a lot? If we banned cell phones from the church. Can I get a witness? Thank you. If we just didn't allow cell phones to be brought into a church, we, we could do a lot of good for finding our way back to understanding why we're here. You know, I, I, would, I would not pay a dime to know, but it would probably be interesting to know how many people swap stories and Googles and images and statistics when they come to church on everything under the sun because that's what's on their mind, not the Word of God. You know why the Word of God's not on your mind when you come to church on Sunday? Because it ain't been on your mind all week long. That's why. But he says we ought to have sibling love. You say, preacher, where's the love? I'm loving you right now. I'm loving you by telling you the truth. Solid instruction and a strict diet. Verse 2. Desire the sincere milk of the word. I wonder, would you rather set for a good hour of solid preaching? Or would you rather have a solid hour of good musical entertainment? I mean, what really motivates us anymore? This is in the text. It's got to be brought out. We can't understand what God's trying to say to us if we're not honest about it. Because he says it is by the sincere milk of the word, not the play stuff. Time out. I've hit on the singers and the music groups. Let me hit on the preachers a moment. I don't go to many, many meetings. And I'm going to tell you one reason why I ain't got time to fool with nonsense. Do you know what passes for preaching most of the time these days? Is clever outlines and a lot of stories. And it does not edify the people of God. It entertains. They'll giggle a lot. They'll leave and say, boy, that's good tonight, wasn't it? And not grow one iota in their walk with Jesus Christ. And he says the sincere milk of the word is how you grow. Now, I want to grow. I want to grow. Now, I'll tell you something about growing. You ever heard what mama used to tell you? When you say, oh, this hurts. That's just growing pains. Right? That's what mama would say. That's growing pains. Now, I don't know how true or untrue that is. Like in the, you know, when my elbow hurt or my knee hurt. It might have been true, but I'll tell you this. There'll be some growing pains when we grow in the Lord. I mean, when God's got to root stuff out of our life, it's not going to feel good. I know. I know. 
We've got to have a strict diet of the Word of God. Now, if you were to begin to craft a list this morning of the ought-tos for a believer, or maybe, maybe better yet, the, the absolute must for uh, your Christian life, I want to say to you, child of God, right at the very top of that would be Bible time. Bible time. And uh, I was in the store the other day, and we were, I was looking at the Christian book section, and there are a lot of books that have titles like this, one-minute prayers, one-minute inspirations, five-minute devotions for couples. Now, here's the question. Is there any wonder why we have no real power in modern Christianity? Have you ever, I don't know if you've done this, but if you'll ever go and pull a book that was written, just say, in the, um, in the 17 or 1800s, Lay it open and pull a book today, the mass-marketed books today, and lay it open, and you'll understand why there's no power in Christianity. You know, many of the leaders in the church, I should put quotations, have no walk with God. They're just good writers, good speakers, good entertainers, well-educated, well-dressed, but they don't have a walk with God. We need something real. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against devotions. I'm not against devotional books. I have some that I read, and I try to keep one or two all the time. And, hey, I even write a daily devotion. And guess what it's called? The Pastor Minute. You know the idea behind that, though, is not that that should be God's word for the day for somebody. All those devotional books, what they do, and they're wonderful if you find good ones, but what they do is they're just like a, 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 an add-on item on the main dish. I mean, it's like, you know what, I want this, and I, this is what I'm eating tonight, but give me a side of that to go along with it. And I mean, sometimes it's just like the after-dinner mint. I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot, but it, it sure helps, doesn't it? And so they're, they're good. I'm not against them. They're good. I think you ought to have them. And I'm glad people are writing them good ones, good ones. But listen to, our theme this year is be strong in the Lord. And here we are on Mother's Day. When we think about strength in its most pure and practical form, and by that I don't mean the strength to lift heavy things. Strength in its purest form is the power to endure. It is the power to bear up. And it is physical, but it's rooted in the heart. And there are few things more illustrative of true strength than a mother. Right? Now the mothers here ought to be able to amen that one. And it's okay, because it's true. I mean, mothers put, endure a lot to, to, to bring children into the world, to raise children. To take care of them and then they have to take care of their daddy too. Amen. There's a lot of strength in that. Endurance, sacrifice. In so many ways, giving of herself for the life of her child or her children. But I want to say this by way of the subject this morning, that there are no perfect mothers. None. Every, every mother has made mistakes. Every mother has weaknesses. And you look at your life sometimes and you may look back and say, well, I, I just wish I'd have done better with this or, or why did this turn out this way and how come it, you know, I, I just want to say, look, there's no perfect mothers. There's only a perfect God. There's no perfect people anywhere and you're not responsible for everything your children have done. 
There's no perfect mothers, humanly speaking. But I want to say one more time to all those mothers who've modeled the love of God in our life by their faithfulness and their mercy and their unconditional love, we praise God and thank God for you today. But when I began to think on the message this morning, and I was thinking of strong mothers, I thought of Susanna Wesley. I think probably there are some of you in here that are familiar with her story, but if you're not, it's a good one to get to know. She's called the mother of Methodism. And the reason is, is because of all her many children, the two most famous were John and Charles Wesley. And they were the founders of the Methodist Church. But it was said of Susanna Wesley that although she never preached a sermon or published a book or founded a church, she's known as the mother of Methodism because her sons John and Charles, when they started the Methodist Church, they applied the example and teachings and circumstances of their home life. In other words, they became the men they were and the ministers they were because of the mother that they had in their life. Now, I think that as you read about Susanna Wesley, you learn some amazing things about her. And the first most amazing thing that you put down is that she was number 25 of 25 children. She married a pastor at the age of 19, a pastor by the name of Samuel Wesley. And he was a difficult man to live with. Wasn't much of a minister and not liked by many people. I guess he tried hard, but he wasn't very successful. She mothered, she was the mother of 19 children, nine of which died. She raised to adulthood 10 of those children. Her husband had such financial troubles that he actually spent a couple of times in jail because of financial difficulties and debts. So Susanna Wesley had to contend with poverty, with illness, homeschooling 10 children, and taking care of the farm while her husband was often away. Their house burned down twice, and some suspect it could have been people in the town that didn't think too much of uh, her husband. She was a prolific writer. Never wrote books, but she wrote many letters. She wrote uh, many commentaries on the Word of God. And she even held Bible studies in the home when her husband was away. She did all of this before she died at the age of 73. And I look at a life like that, and here's what I want to say to you. I'm not holding Susanna Wesley up as, uh, as a comparison to any mother in this room today. Rather, I'm holding Susanna Wesley up as an example to every Christian in this room today, man and woman alike. Because she was a woman, a disciple, who was strong in the Lord. And what was the secret of the strength that she had and, and her ability and accomplishment to do those things in her life, even though it was a life filled with adversity? Let me give it to you in her own words. How could Susanna Wesley do and achieve those things with all those challenges in her life? This is what she said. I will tell you what rule I observed when I was young and too much addicted to childish diversions. I determined never to spend more time in mere recreation in one day than I spent in private religious devotions. Now, if I put that in a more modern vernacular, she said, I'm not going to spend more time watching TV than I spend studying God's Word. I'm not going to spend more time checking my phone than I spend in prayer. I'm not going to spend more time running on out to the town than I spend running to the throne of grace. 
One biographer put it this way about her. Early in her life, she vowed that she would never spend more time in leisure entertainment than she did in prayer and Bible study. Even amid the most complex and busy years of her life as a mother, she still scheduled, get this, raising ten children, taking care of the farm. She still scheduled two hours each day for fellowship with God and time in His Word, and she adhered to that schedule faithfully. Now you might think, well, preacher, how in the world did she do that? There's a number of reasons, but let me say, probably one of the first ones is she got up a little earlier than most of us do. You're going to have to get a head start on a busy life by getting up a little earlier. Now let's back that up a little bit. You know how you're going to get up a little earlier? You're going to have to go to bed a little earlier. Now let's back that up a little bit. How are you going to go to bed a little earlier? You're going to have to turn off the television a little earlier. I mean, you see where this is going? Can I just add, another way she probably had time was she didn't have quite the diversions and distractions that we have today. You see, you don't need to pray over watching TV, do you? I mean, you ought to. But you don't need God's power to watch television. You need God's power to raise ten children. You don't need God's power and faith in God to run down to Food Lion, but you'll need faith in God to trust Him to bless your garden so the crops will grow. You see, she had some priorities and some needs in her life that compelled her to that place of prayer, and she knew that she uh, must depend upon God for everything. The challenge, the biographer went on to say, the challenge was finding a place of privacy in a house filled to overflowing with children. You say, that might be another problem. Now, where is she going to spend that time with God? Some of you know this, this story of her. Her solution to this was to bring her Bible to her favorite chair and throw her long apron up over her head, forming a sort of tent. Every person in the household knew well to respect this signal. When Susanna was under the apron, she was with God and was not to be disturbed except in the case of the direst emergency. There in the privacy of her little tent, she interceded for her husband and children and plumbed the deep mysteries of God and the scriptures. And this holy discipline equipped her with a thorough and profound knowledge of the Bible. She wasn't a pastor. She wasn't a missionary in the sense we always think of. And yet she had a thorough and profound knowledge of God's word. And I want to ask you this morning, do you? Do you have a thorough and profound knowledge of God's Word? Because I want to tell you a secret about God's Word today. You have it when many of these people back years ago never did. It's right there in your hand right now. You know, here was a Christian lady who understood that there was nothing more essential to her life than time with God in His Word and in prayer. Susanna Wesley was more than a strong mother. She was a strong child of God. And every time we stand up and sing all hail the power of Jesus' name and come thou long expected Savior, we can know that that was the result of a young man who grew up in a house where his mother prayed and studied the Bible and lived for God. And it was real. It wasn't something she just squeezed in five minutes in the morning. 
It wasn't something she just did on Sunday. It was real to her every day of her life. And God was the most important person in her life. And time with God was the most important appointment of her daily schedule. And friends, today the reason we lack power and the reason we're immature as Christians and the reason we get our feelings hurt and we live offended is because we're not spending time in the Word of God. But if we'll get in God's Word and we'll spend time in prayer, friend, we'll toughen up a little bit. We'll grow up a little bit. We'll stop Getting having to be coddled all the time when we come to the house of God we'll come in ready to learn something we'll know that being here matters because when I walk out that door I'm going back into a merciless world where the devil rules and reigns and there'll be a fight on my hands just like Miss Heather told us this morning it's real, the battle's real and you're going to have to get serious with God if you're ever going to be strong in the Lord Strong in the Word is strong in the Lord. And you're weak right now because you don't read God's Word. That's it. It's just that simple. You see, we have a physical mother. When you're looking at the text this morning, I'd like to put this thought in your heart to take with you. We have a spiritual mother. He said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God liveth and abideth forever. We're born by the Word of God. What gave birth into our life, into our new eternal life, it was God's Word. You know the old saying, born once, die twice. Born twice, die but once. That's what it's talking about. We were born into this world of corruptible seed to the parents of our physical birth, but when we hear the word of faith and we believe in Jesus, we're born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. And yet the, the statistics bear this out. The Bible is still the least read bestseller of all time. Now right now, some of you know that this is true. When Gutenberg first published put his printing press together. He printed out a copy of the Word of God. 1455. And that seems like such a long time ago. But you know it wasn't. You think about that. 1450. That, that wasn't that long ago. You know how long the church had been around by then? 1400 plus years. You know how long we've been around since then? What, 500 and some? Going on 600? I mean, it ain't been that long ago. And since that time, it's believed, according to Guinness Book of World Records, that over 5 billion Bibles have been printed. And you know what's really sad about that? Most of them are sitting in the homes of Christians in the United States, and they rarely get opened up and read. Susanna Wesley had more time for Bible reading than we do, right? You know that's not true. We do what we want to do. We do what is the priority of our life. That's what we do. Let me just offer one more set of numbers to help illustrate this. According to Pew Research, 78% of Americans claim to be Christians. Now, you know that ain't true. I tell you, if you had a nation 78% full of true born-again followers of Jesus Christ, we'd live in a different country. But 78% claim to be Christians. But listen to this. Only 10% say that they read their Bible every day. That's the average. The numbers I saw was between 9% and 11%. 
So 10%, only 10% of people say they read their Bible every day. Now, how much time you read your Bible does not qualify you as, a, as being saved or not. That's not what we're talking about. But friend, it is evident that we have a weak, anemic Christianity in this modern society and it's been growing weaker for decades because we have multiple copies of the Word of God and we've taken it for granted and we don't read it and we don't love it and we don't saturate our life with it and we have no power with God. We have no life with God. We really have no fear of God in our life. We just do what we want to do. Live how we want to live. And ask God to bless it. That's what we do. Now if there was some way to bring us back to a love for the most basic and essential things in our life as a follower of Jesus. If there was a a list of things we could put together. I'd say number one on that list is prayer. But boy when you start putting this list together you find out real fast. All the stuff we say we believe in and that we stand for we just don't do it. Prayer. How much time do you pray in an average day? Well, preacher, I don't, I don't write it all down. I can't keep up with it. You wouldn't have to write much, would you? How much time are you praying on a daily basis? It ought to be enough, significant enough, that you are measuring it in hours. You see, that shouldn't seem such a foreign thing to us. It shouldn't seem like that's something for way back in the day. That's something for those great preachers and great men and women that went to the mission field that spent hours in prayer. You know why they were on the mission field and why they were being used by God? Because they spent time with God like that. It ought to be for everybody. Prayer, Bible study. Bible study. I want to just emphasize Bible study. What do I mean by study? I mean reading it and hearing it and then meditating on it. And then there's one more thing that goes with that, applying it. You see, that's why when you come to church, you ought to come in here ready to receive. You ought to come in here ready to take it down. What's God saying to me? God, what are you saying to me today? And then you walk out of here and you take that note with you. You take that verse and you take that thought and you meditate on it the rest of the day and you carve out time. I know you're going to have lunch. I know you're going to sit around the table and you're going to laugh and tell stories. But I mean, you've got to carve out some time. You've got to have some apron time to think on that thing and then figure out how to apply it in your life. I'd put real church on the list. I've already touched that one this morning. I mean gathering for corporate prayer and learning, not just religious concerts and comedians. I'd put witnessing on there. And by that I mean a real martyrdom type living where we are dying to self daily and we are waving and raising the gospel flag to everyone we meet, not only by what we say, but how we are living. But just sticking with the Bible this morning. One of the most indispensable part of a true disciple's life. How much reading are we doing? How much time are we spending there? Does it matter to Jesus? John chapter 5 verse 39. He said, search the scriptures for in them you think ye have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. You know what he said? He said, how are you ever really going to know anything about me if you're not in the word of God? If you're not reading the Bible, if you're not reading the Gospels, if you're not studying on it, if you're not meditating on it and chewing on it and applying it, how can you even say you know Jesus? 
I said it not long ago. One preacher said a lot of folks are going to have to get to heaven before they ever meet the Lord. And he's talking about believers. Before they ever get to know him, they're going to have to get all the way to eternity because they're not spending time here getting to know him. Well, right there in your hand or in your lap or beside you on the pew is a copy of the most holy thing that you'll find in this world. It's the most essential thing for your life. We've only had the privilege of holding this for about 500 years. Can you imagine how it must have been back in the day when the Bible first began to be printed in mass qualities? It had been translated into English by William Tyndale back in 1526. How do you think the Christians of that day felt? They could actually go and get one of these and take it home with them. Now, it didn't negate the need to come to church. It didn't negate the need to have a pastor to teach. It didn't negate that. But it allowed them to take it home and become like the Bereans were and search the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. And by the way, that verse gets used all the time to kind of talk about how we're going to check on the preacher. You know what I believe about that? I believe they ain't a... I don't know I've ever met anybody that checks on the preacher. What I'd love to do is have a bunch of people to go home and check on the preacher. What that meant is the Bereans were so amazed by what they were hearing. They had to get in there and see it for themselves. Oh, we ain't got time for that. We got to go home and check the game out today. I don't know what season it is. I don't know if it's basketball, football, horse racing, boxing, but we got to go home and see what they're doing. We ain't got time to check the Word of God out. Right? Say, preacher, what is... I, I'm telling you, we had too much coddling Christianity. It ain't going to help us grow. It just ain't. How long have you been a Christian? How much have you grown? Now, is there a discrepancy in it? Well, I've been a Christian for 40 years. How much have you grown? Have you grown 40 years worth? Or are you about where you were 15 or 20 years ago? You know why? 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, wherefore, look at this, laying aside and then desiring the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby there's only one way to grow strong in the Lord this is a principle throughout the entire Bible you're going to have to lay aside the junk and you're going to have to saturate your heart with scripture that's it now you may not want it you may not be into that sort of thing you may be fine living where you're living and I can't help you if you are. But if you're sitting here today and you're saying, Preacher, I do want it. Preacher, I know that I need this in my life. And I know I haven't been as I ought to be. And I know I haven't given God all my heart like I ought to. What can I do? Lay aside the junk. Carve some stuff out of your life. Make a pumpkin. You know, cut the top off, get all the junk out, put some light in there, amen, and, and shine for God. That's how you do it. There ain't no seven steps. There ain't no secret life book that's going to take you there. This is the only secret life book you've got. It's the only one you need. And if you'll get in it and love it and saturate your life with it, you'll become more than you ever thought you could be for God. Or we can just live in our carnality, in our flesh, we can just show off ourselves, look like the world, act like the world, 
live like the world, dress like the world, think like the world, talk like the world, and come to church on Sunday and appease our conscience and be fine. That'll only take you so far. So I want to make sure you don't miss Colossians 3.16 where Paul said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word dwell means let it inhabit you. Are you inhabited by the Word of God? Does the Word of God live in you? Does the Word of God so fill you that this word literally means to be soaked and saturated in it? Is that you? I mean, we ought to be so full of God's Word that it doesn't matter what conversation we're in, some of God's Word is going to come out in it. We ought to walk around and be so squishy in it that wherever we go, we're leaving God's Word behind us. That's what he's talking about. Let it dwell in you richly. Be saturated in it. What are you dripping with this morning? You know how you get saturated with the Word of God? See, some of you are ready to get started. Some of you right now in your heart, you know, boy, preacher, I thank you for bringing the message. I need this. I've got to get more time in God's Word. And you're ready for it. Praise God. He's working in our hearts and we want more of it. But I, I want to say something to you. You need to study it now. Now, that word scares people. Say, preacher, I'm not real good with books. I, I just ain't real good with study. And I, I don't know about them concordances and them lectionaries and all that stuff. I, I, that's not what I'm talking about. How many of you would believe, oh, listen to this. Now, now, everybody in here studies stuff on a regular basis as a part of your life. Now, I mean, I'm going to illustrate that for you. How many of you would believe that I've studied the Andy Griffith Show? It's all right. You can raise your hand. It's true. I have. Now, you know how I've done that? I've spent pretty much my entire life you know how people say that I was going to church nine months before I was born? I was watching the Andy Griffith Show nine months before I was born. And I've been watching it my whole life. I watch it, man. I mean, I don't wait for it to come on. I own it. I watch it anytime I want to. And I've got books. I probably have a section on my bookshelf that big with Andy Griffith Show books. I've read them all at least once or twice. I've studied it. And you know, the, the, most, the, the best way to know it is to just be there in it. Just live in it, right? And you know that's what studying God's Word is? It's just being so exposed to it and just being in there day after day and just living in it and just going back to it and carrying it with you. And I mean having a little piece here that just lights something inside of you and you take it with you throughout the day and you go back and you read it again and you talk about it to other people and you share what you're learning. And boy, the more you do that, the more it becomes a part of who you are and you'll just be richly dwelt and dwelt with the Word of God. You can study it. You sure can. Some of you can rattle off numbers. Your job, you've learned how to do it. You can just do it. Man, the rest of us would look at what you do and say, I, I, I don't know how in the world he does that. That's Superman. That's Superwoman. But you've done it so long. It's just it's part of who you are. And it's the same way with God's Word. You've got to get in there, and God will help you to do it. And I'll tell you something. I'm going to close with a personal illustration. We just recorded a podcast, Brother Corey and I, that came out this past week on the subject of, of having a life saturated with God. I've, I've had that thought in my mind for well over a week. And, and in that podcast, I shared a personal story of my own life. And I want you to understand something. Let me put this in some relative context. I'm talking about just a, a number of years, just a few years ago, before I came here. I was telling how I would get up in the mornings. I was in, I was in the Army, and, you know, I would have to be there, formations at 6.30, and... You know, I'd have to be there a little before then so I could be in place. And I'd, I'd get up about 5, 
20, 5.30. I lived about 30 minutes from, from where my unit was on post. I'd get up, I'm, are you doing the math? I'd get up about 5.20, 5.30, and it took 30 minutes to drive. Now what I'd do, I'd get up and I'd spend about 15 minutes reading my Bible and offering a little prayer. And then I'd hop in my car and I'd drive to my unit. In the next 30 minutes, I would saturate myself with ESPN. And in the afternoons on the way back, it was either more ESPN or Fox News Radio. And if I was in the car driving around post during the day, you know what I was listening to? ESPN, Fox News Radio. You say, preacher, why are you so hard on those things? I tell you, it ain't just because I'm picking on you. It's because I lived there a while. I got caught up in that for a few years. And you know what was going on in my life then? I was getting up every day and I was going on post. I was a chaplain. And you know what I was doing? I was leading Bible study. I was counseling. I was even pastoring a chapel. And you know what? I was, getting, I was doing it. I mean, I was there. I was faithful. I loved God. But you know, all I had to offer was the stuff that I, had, that I would spend time hunting. I'd have to make sure I got ready for everything. And boy, if something happened all of a sudden like, and I wasn't ready for it, that's, that's, that's stress and panic time. You know why? Because I wasn't saturated in my life with God. I was getting by. And I got to tell you, I've lived that way. And I'm now some years removed from that, and I got to tell you, I ain't by the grace of God ever going back. I want to just keep cutting more out of my life. Because I'm going to tell you something. One day you're going to draw your last breath. You are. And I want you to really listen to me now. You're going to draw your last breath in this life. When you die, there ain't nobody going to walk up and say, I remember that time he knocked that little white ball in that little hole in the ground. Boy, he was something else. And all that stuff we're chasing and living for today... I'm, I'm, and I'm not against that. I, I'm, not, I'm not against life and having fun. You know what? I mean, I believe if you can do it with God, do it. See, the problem with some of us is we can't do it with God. It's so much our life, it's an idol. And we've got to get rid of it completely. It's got to be cut out like a cancer so that God can have our heart back. Because when you die, friend, it ain't going to matter. You ain't going to care. What they said on Fox or CNN, you ain't going to care what so-and-so pasted on a Facebook or, or what they put on Pinterest, and you're not going to care who won that game and who won that tournament and who won that race. It ain't going to matter. And if that's the idol of your heart and it's keeping you from life with God, cut it out. Don't play with it. Cut it out. It's got to go.